Hi everyone, welcome to Go With The Flow, Yoga Conversations with Ben and Rihanna. I'm Rihanna. And I'm Ben. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 2. Yeah, so everyone, welcome. Uh, my name is Ben, and of course, uh, we met Rihanna. Uh, we are from um, Inner Power Vinyasa, which is a yoga teacher training school. Uh, we also do a podcast called Go With The Flow, uh, Yoga Conversations with Ben Rihanna. And um, we teach at Beyond Yoga. Um, so most of our classes are uh, Vinyasa. Um, so just to give you a background about myself, I am... Uh, I've been teaching for eight years and been practicing for 10 years now. So uh, most of my practice has been vinyasa and uh, I've been, I've, I'm trained in Hatha as well and um, I got my certification from um, the, um, the Victorian Institute of Melbourne um, doing uh, 500 hours of uh, a diploma in yoga teaching. And then Rihanna. Um, so, hi, I'm Rihanna again. <laughs> um, so, I have been teaching for 10 years and I've been practicing for a um, couple of years longer than that. And I am primarily a vinyasa teacher. And we also, Ben and I also lead teacher trainings around once or twice a year. So, um, we are, uh, we're also some managing, we are also managing partners of Beyond Yoga Studios. So um, I think it will be a nice discussion to give insight on um, the studio setting and um, also as full-time teachers as well. So, yeah. Um, so I'd like to thank everyone uh, for coming in to the webinar. Um, of course, it's, um, it's always uh, a challenge to you know, set up a common time for everyone. So we appreciate you carving out this time of your day for this, um, especially if you're working as well and experiencing Zoom fatigue with all the online meetings. Appreciate the energy and the effort to come in to this Zoom meeting um, today. So without further ado, we'd like to begin with the webinar. Um, we only have an hour over this one. So just to give you a brief background, um, we have... Um, We've been doing teacher trainings for uh, three years, uh, going four years this year. And we also do um, coaching and mentoring of teachers who did not train under us. And uh, normally these things are, some, are things that we do uh, during teacher training. And this material uh, is something that we just developed uh, two weeks ago. Um, and we're giving it for free everyone because we think that um, more people need yoga in their lives and as yoga teachers we kind of have that dharma or that responsibility to space for others even if it's virtual so if you have any questions that are pressing and put them in the chat box if you want to ask it uh, uh, verbally you can raise your hand so there's a raise hand uh, option in the participants uh, page uh, and then we'll try to address them as we go along. So learn from you as much as we will learn, uh, you will learn from us. So let's keep the discussion open. 
my internet is unstable at this, so we're gonna proceed. Um, this webinar is about uh, teaching yoga online and navigating our roles as different teachers in this situation. So this is the first part uh, of the training uh, or of the webinar. We divided into two. Uh, the first one is to put context yoga in perspective, um, historical and philosophical, to give us context of our purpose in this. So this first. Um, this first part has two further parts, which is uh, yoga in crises, a historical perspective of how yoga emerged uh, throughout, uh, through, and even in the time as well, and then yoga philosophy in, in times of crisis. So, so let me begin by saying that the first yoga selfie was inward. So, um, if you are not familiar with you know the beginnings of yoga philosophy uh most attribute the the beginning of yoga philosophy to this story about indra and prajapati um in the upanishads where uh prajapati oh sorry indra um went to prajapati's teacher for 101 years so he went i think four times um, spent 30 plus years each time with asking the same question what is the self you know what is the self all about what's the self made of and how do you understand the self so when we talk about yoga practice it's all it's always about you know that uh, that that uh, attitude of seeking the meaning of ourselves and this is the main purpose of yoga all throughout history and all throughout the life. Um, from the Upanishadic times up to the time when, you know, the, this current status or this current state of yoga philosophy emerged, uh, it's always about um, yoga dealing with transition. So when Brahmanism or the belief system that depended a lot on sacrifices ended, and Hinduism emerge. It's really about um, people seeing that you know the old order was not working for them. You know, in times of drought, it's not enough to sacrifice uh, cow or cattle or animals or people. Um, the rituals really don't work. So in this time, uh, during the during the history of India. The old order of Brahmanism slowly gave way to Hinduism, which was, was a more, you know, uh, a more self-involved uh, spirituality, not about external sacrifices, not about, um, not about, um, you know, off making offerings to the gods, but you know, really seeking who am, who are we about, or what are we about, and this and, um, uh, gave way to traditions like uh, what we have right now, which is the yoga philosophy, all the other philosophies that emerge which we can do with that. Um, this, this was a great time of crisis uh, socially because leaders, religious and political, were losing their grip on society and society decided that, you know, this is too much. We cannot afford people going hungry. We cannot afford, you know, people uh, not being able to work. 
and not being able to provide for their families. So just to put it into historical context, it's the same time when trade with the, uh, the Roman Empire was starting to wane. You know, uh, uh, at this point in their history, they were trading their goods with uh, stuff from the West. And uh, what happened was they started shifting away from that. They started shifting into um, into a more um, a more self-sustaining economy. Really. Um, we we see this as parang uh, very historical in the book, but if you put yourself in the shoes of people during that time, you can imagine the great tragedy tragedy that you have to go through just to manage this shift. It's very similar to what we experience now, which is a sort of grief that an old way of living is lost, and we have to have to deal with what unquote new normal and. Um, what we're experiencing right now is just the very, very beginning of the shift in terms of thinking, in terms of society, in terms of you know, economic order or social order. You know, it's just really the tip of the iceberg. Uh, if you're very familiar with the history of India, uh, you'd know that um, Eastern, India, if Eastern India developed separately from Western India after this whole uh, collapse in their society. Uh, after the collapse of Brahmanism, uh, Buddhism emerged in Eastern India. And this was kind of a golden time for them, for, for Eastern India. This is the area of the Ganges River. Um, and then the height of this was Ashoka, the Emperor Ashoka, who made Buddhism uh, a uh, state religion of India and gave Buddhism uh, a pivotal role in Eastern Indian society. But when Ashoka died, when this one person who supported Buddhism, that society also collapsed, you know? so which, which gave way to the next phase of, uh, of history in India, which is the golden age of Hinduism. Next slide, please. So at this time, um, during the Golden Age Hinduism, this, is, this was when uh, Western India, the Gupta Empire, was able to assert its influence across Northern India. And they were able to take over that part of India where Buddhism was, try, was starting to grow. That's also why every uh, Buddhist left that part of India and, and Buddhism is not as popular. Um, in uh, India, compared to other parts of Asia, like for example, China or Tibet or uh, or uh, Thailand or yeah, Southeast Asia, all the way to Korea and Japan. So at this point, that whole part of India was starting to develop a state of um, peace, which allowed culture, philosophy to flourish. And this golden age of Hinduism was what brought us to the Sutta. The sutras that emerged, you know, during this time. So whenever you have a time in history where the society kind of collapses, you see an evolution of the yoga philosophy in such a way that it becomes a bit more defined, but it always adjusts to the time. So in this time, um, remember that before this time, writing was considered like a new technology, and everything before. Uh, Everything before this time was taught either through oral tradition. So for people during this age, 
to be able to write something on paper is kind of the same way as to be able to teach yoga through Zoom, for example. People see that as that newfangled technology, but it's not traditional. So people have a very, you know, a very uh, off attitude towards it because it doesn't want to put their tradition. Uh, and we'll see this pattern all throughout, you know, the history of uh, of yoga in context of of the changes in the time. Uh, but we know for a fact that during this time, oral tradition was written, and we the, the main reason why we have the yoga sutras now, the yoga sutras now, was because someone decided to adapt the writing technology to the to yoga philosophy. There was a long time of peace in India until such a time when uh, the British the British Raj came in, uh, or the British Empire came in, and uh, I think they were quite complacent with the with the presence of of the British in India until such a time when they were pushed to the brink of collapse during the Great Famine of India, which is very recent. It's like in the 1800s, the late 1880s. Um, and what happened during the British British Raj was that all elements of Indian culture were deemed as uh, um, inferior to Western ideas. So whatever the British came in, they decided that this is the best thing, and all that we believe believe in uh, natively are inferior to all of that nature. But what happened after that when when the Great Famine of India happened was that it pushed Indians to wake up and realize that, you know, we are being treated as second-class citizens in our country, and all of our belief systems have been treated as next to trash. So there was a revival of all of these philosophies, and then that's, um, that is when yoga re-emerged in the modern time. So we credit that to one man, uh, Krishnamacharya, who we consider as the father of modern yoga, next slide please. So Krishnamacharya for me is the first insta-yogi. You know? uh, we have a lot of criticisms about people posting pictures of themselves on social media, saying that, you know, this is not traditional, this is not, you know, this is not, you know, this is not part of the yoga philosophy or the teaching. But the thing is, technology is neutral. Technology has no moral, you know, it's not bad, good or bad. It's a neutral piece of, it's a neutral medium. And during the 1800s, we see Krishnamacharya doing his own version of Insta Yoga poses. He would do, you know, public performances of yoga practice. Because he has a mission, he has a dharma of reawakening this sense of awareness that there's such a rich tradition coming from yoga philosophy that people have to see. And he understood that people needed spectacle for them to believe. So he gave them spectacle for the sake of bringing awareness to people, not for the sake of ego or pride, but for the sake of showing that this is tradition, getting their attention. This is our tradition. This is how it was done before the British came in, and we can revive it. We can do it again. So basically, this whole thing is um, 
uh, a short history, a very concise history of yoga, what yoga is in terms of crises. Um, that was 20 minutes worth of 2,000 years of history. And uh, my objective is to show people that in times of crises, yoga has always been there to support society. And yoga has always adapted to technology. And thank you so much, Meryl. Uh, I think it's very important as teachers to understand where we come from, to know, you know where we, how we go forward when in this time we are, we are met by another time of crisis. And we know historically how yoga, yoga practitioners have responded to all of these. Uh, we can take our cue from them and show them that and show people that you know we're still carrying on this rich tradition of adapting technology so that we can continue delivering on our dharma so our purpose our mission in life and and it's very important to know that you know technology is always neutral and there are there's no you know there's no uh you cannot moralize technology per se uh, we, we see a lot of people, a lot of teachers who have been traveling for the last, I don't know, 20 or so years teaching yoga. Uh, travel is a technology as well. And um, travel is a technology that we don't question. But 600 years ago or 1,300 years ago, there was no traveling by a plane. Um, it was just you walking around your town, you know, walking around or street maybe just teaching people what you know from your practice and um, and we never question travel you know we, we've never questioned traveling teachers so it's the same as with teaching in this virtual spaces um, it is a it is a challenge that we're being called to adapt to and it's important to know what the what uh, challenges we'll encounter in order to serve our mission effectively. Um, I can do a very quick um, discussion of the philosophy in context. So I think um, we can move to the next slide. Um, when we talk about um, yoga teaching, we always go straight to asana teaching and we kind of forget the first two parts of yoga of the yoga sutra of the uh, eight like eight limbs of yoga which are uh, the yamas and niyamas and i think it's a good reminder for us to uh, it's a good way for uh, to remind ourselves what we're here for uh, by going through the yamas and niyamas again and understanding that in the context of the crisis and i think this is when the yamas and the niyamas become most salient. Uh, Nonviolence, for example, by simply, um, you know, by see, simply staying at home, si uh, staying at home is ahimsa. You know, we stop people, we prevent, you know, the, uh, people experiencing violence in terms of uh, probably getting infected or probably, you know, yeah, probably spreading the virus. Um, satya or the truth, we've seen that in terms of, you know, people, particularly politicians who lie about, you know, their whereabouts, lie where, where they've been, whether they've been in SNR or not, or whether they 
have tested or not, you know. Uh, Sake is important in this crisis because it can, you know, it can affect someone's life. It can take someone's life. Um, when I was studying the, when I was studying the Yoga Sutras for the first time, I did not understand the, the difference between Ashteya and Aparigraha. But in this time of great need, when you have a lack of everything, you know the difference between non-stealing and non-hoarding. You don't take things that are not yours, and you don't take too much of something because everyone's lacking something in this crisis. And that's a parigraha, you know. Don't take what's not meant for you, and don't hoard what needs to be shared. And then brahmacharya is not just sexual restraint, but energetic restraint. You know, as teachers, uh, when you start teaching online, you feel what and what brahmacharya means. You know? uh, when you encounter hundreds of people watching their video, or even ten people watching their video, but all over the world, you feel this, you know, energy just going out everywhere without a sense of direction. And we need to take care of yourself for that. And the next, um, the niyamas in context. Um, Saucha or cleanliness, very obvious. Just wash your hands <laughs> and, you know, wash your hands becomes the most obvious these days, right? Right. So you think that what's the point of washing my hands? Well, this is the point of washing your hands. It can save life. And um, Santosha, I forgot what Santosha is. But uh, I'll, rem I'll remember. Anyone who remembers Santosha? <laughs> I'm sure it's at the, at the tip of my tongue, but um, I'll remember it later. Santosha. Contentment, yes. So very related to non-hoarding, aparigraha, and uh, non-stealing. So whatever you have, uh, be happy with it. And at the same time, in the context of teaching, whatever, you, whatever medium you have in teaching, you take that and you make the most out of it. And this is the only medium that we have. We can't wish for anything else. And then Santosha calls us to be content with what we have. Uh, finally, tapas, vadhyaya, and ishvara pranidhana. Tapas is work. Um, it, it, and, and teaching online requires a lot of effort and work. And this is where our tapas comes most into use. That zeal to not just practice, but to perform our dharma or our mission. Svadhyaya is knowing ourselves, not just knowing the, the books, but knowing our true intentions. What is it that we want to achieve by teaching online? And finally, Ishvara Pranidhanani, or Ishvara Pranidhana, sorry. Um, things will go wrong, and that's okay. So you have to have a bit of faith. You know? So you don't have to get it perfect, but it's important to... Do your part and trust the process at the same time. You know? So while it can't be perfect, we kind of have uh, some tips on how to make it better. And that will be Rihanna's part. So thank you so much. If you have any questions, do let us know uh, before we proceed to the next part. Um, thank you, Mary, for the comment in the group chat. Um, ah, is it right? Yeah. So, any questions before we proceed with Rihanna's part, or while Rihanna setting up her her part? <laughs>
um, it's a big, you know, it's a big uh, discussion, really. We usually take a few days to finish yoga history because it's just a long, uh, yeah, a long history. But uh, as yoga teachers, it's important for Yana and I to come from a place of um, context, you know, historical context for teaching. everything that them discuss parang i think it it needs to be something that we slowly shift our mindsets to and accept i know that when um all of this started i was very hesitant about teaching online i was very stressed out about it how to go about it um i have that i really as a full-time teacher which some of us are if not all of us parang that's our livelihood, diba? So you want to be able to give 100%. And as much as we all know, teaching online is never going to be the perfect setting for what it is we want, um, especially as yoga teachers. I think the number one thing we have to do is kind of just go with the flow and accept the current situation because the faster we can adapt, the more people we can help through yoga. And especially, I think, in this pandemic, um, uh, people who have taken our training know this. I put a lot of responsibility as a yoga teacher on myself to really um, sharing what I've learned from my practice with others. And I guess that's why we're all here, right? Na we want to give the best we can. And um, teaching yoga in the digital shift does not mean that we it takes away any authenticity to it or whatever as long as we put ourselves in the right mindset for it so number one thing is we really need to first and foremost um knowing what we know about the pandemic i really truly think that the first step to doing this is Accepting that this new normal is our current reality. It may not be forever, but it definitely will be this way for a while. So um, at the end of the day, I think it needs, the mission needs to be bigger than whatever preference it is we have. Because um, if we're here to share yoga, the faster we can get it out there with as much quality as we can, I think it will be more helpful. So um, as teachers, I think um, the history part is very important because it shows us that through a lot of stuff that yoga has gone through, um, famine, colonization, whatever else it is, now, now this global pandemic that affects everybody, you have to start shifting what your preferences are with regards to, you know, there's nothing wrong with being an idealist, pero if we keep holding on to stuff that is not currently happening, I don't think we it, it will be very helpful and we'll get to play our roles as teachers. So start shifting your perspective about teaching online. Because bottom line is that it boils down to your intention. It boils down to what it is you want. And if your mission to get the yoga out there to as many people as you can, especially in this time of need, I think it needs to be a greater deal than 
um, your shyness, your your preference in teaching um, live, recorded, in person. You know what I mean? We need to start moving because one, we need to live. Number two, the yoga needs to be out there also. So um, intention is everything. And um, so our sankalpa, our, our intention is of the utmost priority now because I think now more than ever, I'm sure you guys have noticed this also, yoga, yoga has, is already in the mainstream, but even more now, I think we're, we are all starting to realize the value of what it is we are teaching. And there's a reason for why it's been around for so long and has gone through everything it's gone through and persevered to this very day. And if it's gone through a lot of things and adjusted to all sorts of technology, whether that is writing, travel, um, you know, the yoga will be there as long as our intentions are clear about it. Um, so there, we, we get a lot of questions as to how it is we can make teaching online a more... Um, a more valuable experience. And I think one thing that it really boils down to more than figuring out uh, the best angle for your camera or the best technology, because the truth is there are so many platforms out there. It may not be Zoom. It may be, um, let's say, a Facebook video call, which I found has been pretty okay also. A Facebook video call also costs nothing. Um, if the connection is unstable, um, you can figure out a way to record, maybe, or maybe, um, or maybe have a certain time of the day where your connection is better. But I, basically, I think there are lots of things that can go wrong. But I think ultimately, it boils down to the skills we have as a teacher, and so. Um, I find, especially with myself, lumalabas yung um, what skill level it is I have to communicate because ultimately, and the people who have taken training under us know this, um, yoga teacher, being a yoga teacher is ultimately a communications job. So before um, figuring out how, if I should demo or whatever, it boils down to really knowing your stuff and really taking the time to study how good it is you are as a communicator. So this is a skill that needs to be built more, especially um, now that we don't have. So like teacher Bry also, we, uh, I'm the same way. I'm a very tactile person. I, I love um, hands-on assists and adjustments. And I'm sure teacher Patrick, it is super challenging as well for my sore classes to be done without holding anyone and i think this is where you know our skill level and finding as much balance as we can comes out because it's really 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 hard not to so um demonstrating could be one thing although um because we are teaching a wider range of people um, one thing that I've noticed in some of the classes that I see being taught online, um, it's very important that when we demonstrate, we demonstrate for the people who are new, who are not used to the practice. So let's say 
um, in any yoga class you teach, let's say you don't have a lotus, do this. You, uh, you know, you give a modification for whatever. If you are teaching a group class, my number one suggestion for demonstrations is to demonstrate for the people who are new. A lot of the times, brand new people are visual learners. And it doesn't make sense to be in a vashistasana, big toe bind, and then say, you could also step the left foot down in front of your, do you know what I mean? They're not going to hear anything because the only thing they've seen is the hardest version of whatever it is available and try to copy that. So um, especially if your regulars are there with you in the, in the space, if you call it out verbally, they will probably understand you. The new ones will not. So a lot of the times, the new ones, and I'm sure you've seen this in your classes, they will be staring at the person next to them for whatever it is they need to do. Because sometimes, A, the queuing is too much. The queuing is too much um, or it's going really fast. So demonstrate for the beginners because they are watching you I would say maybe 60% more than they are probably listening, if that makes sense. So take note that beginners are usually visual learners. Another skill that we need to amp up, especially during this time, is the awareness we have of um, the awareness we have of the people that we teach. So um, personally, I'm I'm not a teacher who who is very good at teaching way too many people. Number one, because I find that I take way too much time on one person. And number two, in a Zoom setting, I would like, as much as we would like to give everyone the equal amount of attention, um, we know it's kind of not super possible. Like even if me giving this slideshow, I'm going through the little thumbnails of your faces just so I can see if we're connecting. Pero, one thing we have to build is the awareness we have for who it is we're teaching. So um, recognizing um, individual skeletal structure, um, recognizing um, that maybe not everything you say will apply to absolutely everyone, and that also boils down to the cues that we have. So because there is more room for error without us being in the room with the people that we teach. You have to make sure that what you are teaching is specific, is individualized, recognizes each person as an individual individual being as well. So, for example, um, there are some things that can be blanketed, but uh, I'm not such a big fan of blanket statements in, in yoga cues. So... Um, and I, and I think it's very important that we teach maybe with a little bit more detail than we would if we were in person and could see them and maybe demonstrate what we mean. Pero the language is very important, um, especially now. So let's say, um, there's a question also before na, should I demonstrate or should I sit in front of the camera and watch everybody? So that really depends. If you are around people who are used to your teaching language, then that's probably possible to sit down and be like this, 
talking like this. But chances are, and um, whether or not you put gentle yoga, if you put power vinyasa flow or whatever it is, every single class needs to be treated as an open level class. So there is no such thing as a non-open level. There's no such thing as real beginner, intermediate, advanced, because everything is open level. And I think your language needs to be open enough to give them choices as to what they do with their body without feeling like they're stuck in a box, if that makes sense. So um, there are certain alignment things that apply to all, but um, especially in a situation where you can't be with them and actually see, you have to be 10 times more careful with how you say things and in what the amount of detail. So um, there are times also that it makes sense to go for a little less. Um, yeah, it makes sense to go, like let's say for the vinyasa teachers. Uh, I've noticed also na parang you don't have to jam pack your entire class with everything it is you want to teach. Even if it is a more entertaining situation, you have to remember what it is you are here for also. So, um, and we were talking also about brahmacharya. You also have to remember na one thing that makes teaching online difficult and what makes Zoom fatigue real is that we feed off the energy of the people that we teach. So make sure that the amount of classes you teach, the length of time you teach, doesn't completely drain you out so that it is something that is more sustainable. So um, I find that actually we could do, like in Beyond's classes, we've been doing like an hour and 15. To be honest, on an online platform, 45 to an hour may be smart also. So that is something that you can consider because there are lots of factors in people's homes that are difficult. Like I taught a yoga class where her son was knocking over the laptop and the cell phone camera and then she ended up just having to leave because it was too much. And we were an hour, five minutes into the class now. So Consider also the amount of energy it takes to teach for as long and as frequent as you do. Those are things that you have to consider. But I think one thing that really needs to be um, uh, emphasized is queuing talaga. Because this is right now the only skill we have, uh, well, the skill that we have that will really make your classes good or not. And ultimately, what it is when we teach, um, we need to figure out also, parang, are we teaching shapes or are we teaching an intuitive experience, if that makes sense. So I think one thing that this pandemic has brought out is the value of yoga being more than just shapes, more than fancy poses, more than pinchamayurasana, more than warrior two, more than bakasana and whatever. One thing that we have over other, other physical practices out there is that this is meant to be an intuitive experience. And I think that's something that we need to put forth and emphasize. So, um, 
as teachers also because it is a brand new landscape it can be quite difficult to um you know get people in class so one thing i found that has been helpful for me is really figuring out who you are as a teacher um there's a lot of uh criticism also about branding yourself and figuring and you know parang figuring out parang what your not the image i don't know what a better word for image is but you really have to figure out especially in this time you need to know um you need to know who you are as a teacher especially in this time because people need to know what they're in for there's a comfort that people have when they know what they're what you are about so for them to come in they need to understand what kind of teacher you are what it is you offer what the experience is going to be like because if all of us say vinyasa yoga period without really knowing who i am as a teacher without knowing what my teaching philosophy is um it's not going to be something that they will feel comfortable just jumping into without understanding who you are so um yeah and and important also to specify what kind of people you are teaching so it's nice to say i mean it is naman fair to say yoga is for everybody but one thing especially in this vert digital landscape we need to specify who it is that we are trying to reach so are we trying to reach people who are brand new have never tried yoga are we trying to um continue the practice of practitioners who have been around for a while um and marisol yes honestly i feel i feel uh i feel shorter classes are beneficial in this time to be honest i think it it gives us it asks less bandwidth from people and i think 45 minutes is fair to be honest there are other places that offer 30 and that's not bad we also have to value then uh, a little practice it um it doesn't always have to be an hour and a half an hour parang you could offer a variety of things a short like let's say if you upload videos a shorter 10 15 minute class is also valuable as a 1 or 15 chapter it's not the same pero you need to get the practice out there so your content could be as short as a 10 minute something before winding down a 10 minute meditation a 10 minute something that could be something that in your roster of things that you're going to offer also so i think there's value in that um yoga tends also to get looped in to the fitness thing which it is um i think we're all going to agree like let's say if you practice something uh super dynamic like ashtanga rocket or if you teach a very strong vinyasa class i think everyone's going to say it's a good workout which is true pero if we're going to be realistic about it i think we need to understand that when it comes to selling yoga as just a workout there are lots of other options that are probably better workout wise does that make sense there is cardio dance classes there are i don't know lots of things rowing there's hit there's lots of other things so i think especially now 
we have to embrace that yoga is much more than just a physical practice. And that um, if we're going to bring yoga out there, it needs to be, we need to push out the value of it being more than fat burning, cardio, whatever. You know what I mean? They're all great benefits where you can get better workouts other places, right? They can get yoga better workouts in other places. So I think if we're true to the path of yoga as full-time yoga teachers, we need to um, quote-unquote sell yoga as a whole. We need to bring out the benefit that yoga is more than a physical practice. And I think it's something that people are starting to embrace more and more in this pandemic. So we get lots of people who are brand new, who have never tried yoga and are feeling a lot more relief. So um, that's something that I think needs to be emphasized more as teachers. And I think something we shouldn't shy away from or feel that people will be intimidated because as we've seen in the history, yoga adapts, yoga, yoga will survive throughout whatever it is. And it's very important for us also as teachers ultimately to trust what it is that we teach. We have to trust the practice that it is going to work as long as we teach it with good intention and we don't cherry pick what parts of yoga we like. There's nothing wrong with teaching asana. There's nothing wrong with teaching meditation. But I think if we trust the yoga system as a whole, it's important for us to embrace that everything is part of it. And the up that we have over workouts is that we create engaged, intuitive, um, um, uh, intuitive practice that goes beyond the physical inward, which I think um, is of greater value than whatever calorie burning workout it is that we have there. In times like this, I think there's comfort in um, connecting to yourself because a lot of people feel um, unstable and fearful of lots of things. So as teachers, we are the catalysts for finding connection to ourselves, finding self-assurance and being, you know, surrendering to whatever it is that's going on without freaking out. So, um, yeah, for me, I think these are some of the things that we need to um, revisit as teachers for those of us who have been teaching out there for a while i think we need to go back to the basics like how well is my communication am i creating an opportunity for intuition and an experience that will help them turn inwards or am i just teaching shapes and fun things which is nice also but i think there's lots more value in presenting the practice as a whole and trusting that it'll work for other people. But yeah, that's it for me. <laughs> Does anyone have any questions for me or Ben or anything that we can talk about all together as teachers? Hi, I have a question. So um, my main issue is here in Iloilo, yoga is not popular yet. Um, and I have been teaching free but short online classes like through Instagram, Zoom, and Facebook, all of that. Um, 
And I want to know your thoughts or any advice you may have because I'm planning to, of course, eventually make, make it paid classes. But it's hard because here, for one, teaching on Zoom has been difficult. Like people are not ready to, you know, move over to Zoom. Um, and then yoga is not as popular yet. So people don't feel like it's necessary yet. So I'm kind of in between, like, do I continue teaching just short free online classes or, but of course in the long run, that's not good. Um, or do I just go and do the paid classes, but possibly like, I don't know, maybe not many students will come and attend. So that's my issue. I think, I think it depends nga on the way it's presented to your market. So, syempre, the market that you have is something that you probably are aware of. So, um, it may be also a good marketing technique to show that it is a grounding, meditative, you can put the word relax in there, which I think everyone needs right now. Um, you could consider. So how have the free trials been going though? Um, not that many uh, have been joining, like less than five usually always. So ayun, so far or yeah. And what I would do is when I would teach, I would have another teacher, like wherever they're from, whether they're in Bacolod or Manila, like join so that they kind of are demoing, I do the cues. So I haven't like been like tired or exhausted from the teaching. It works well that way. Pero yeah, the the attendance is not as high as I would like it to be. It's not reaching that many people yet. Honestly, here in um, I also no, I was uh I was also wondering if you have approached like natural communities, like for example schools or um, workplaces. Uh, because it's hard to get uh, a new community together uh, in any, you know, in any setting. But I think if you go for natural communities like, you know, schools which have a group of teachers, uh, you can go to workplaces, you can offer it to healthcare workers who need the most. They would appreciate it for sure. So employee, hospital employees, um, I don't know, public healthcare workers and everything. Um, I think that the easiest thing to do is to always approach the natural communities instead of making one from scratch. Um, uh, I can't say I, I, can I, I share the same experience because uh, teaching in Manila is very different. Uh, but I do know that we have an expert in non-Manila <laughs> studios here. So Jelly built her community from scratch in Baguio. And... I think for Jenny, it was just a relentless, uh, relentless pursuit of building, you know, a group of people who are passionate about yoga. And um, it, it's good to have like a long-term plan in a way that uh, you have to be okay with having just one and then one and then two and then two and then three and then one. You know, you have to be okay with that whole process. And we always say to our teachers that you have to be in it for the long game. You're not here for the next class next week. You're here for this lifetime of being there for your students. You know? So one person coming into class is a lifetime responsibility for you. Whether 
they continue to take asana classes with you or not, you will still be kind of part of their lives in that long run. I mean, I have students from, let's say, for example, Santa Rosa, Laguna, who I don't get to see anymore after, let's say, I don't know, five years now, but they still, we still have this teacher-student relationship that goes beyond the asana practice. So um, I know the numbers can be frustrating, to feel frustrated, and you know, just go through that frustration and then maybe plan for the plan for the plan for the end because it's uh, whatever community you create, it will go beyond this pandemic. That's what that's the objective. That's the uh, that's the goal. And it would be nice also, like Ben said, if you could cater it for who need it already, and that could be a start. Um, because if they see the value in it, um, it'll be easy to get them in. Pero with regards to the numbers, in all honesty, I've been teaching for a decade and my attendance is not amazing also. Pero um, I find value in it also because the less we are, I can give better service. So it just depends. So you could also... You could also shorten the classes also. You could consider the time that you offer it. Like it might be at a time where people are working. You could offer morning, gabi, middle of the day, and then see how it works. So like even any studio that opens, and now this virtual studio, you kind of have to experiment also with the time slots and what kind of classes work at what time. So sometimes that's something that you can consider also. Thank you. Um, marketing suggestions, consistent participants. So uh, this this is something that I talked to. So some of the graduates from our programs are here also. You always have to make sure when it comes to being a teacher. Um, if any teacher you have ever had in any school you have ever attended um, had a lesson plan for you, you have to make sure now when you teach, it is progressive, it makes sense, the classes are connected, para at least you take them somewhere. So um, uh, this is a tip that I freely share with everybody who needs it because I think it's helped me a lot build the classes that I have. And I think it's important because as a teacher, it's our job. Any teacher in school or whatever, you have to plan for the classes that you teach. So are you teaching random classes of whatever na lang each time they enter your classes? Or is it systematic that they have somewhere to go or somewhere to look forward to when you start teaching? Does that make sense? Um, so yeah, figure out. So this is where your skill in sequencing comes in. Is it a sequence that is accessible, that is progressive, or are we teaching random classes every time they see you, right? Because ultimately, you want your students to learn. So it boils down to what are you teaching really? It boils down to um, are, are people actually learning in your classes or are they just trying poses every so often? Do you know what I mean? So I used to teach a lot of random classes and I find that it it burns me out a lot because 
wala, parang students don't really get anything from trying stuff once and then maybe again in another couple of months. So I try to stay focused on, I try to stay with a game plan and that has helped grow my classes exponentially. So my classes, um, well, in person, they used to be kind of small before because it was an awkward time in the studio. But that number has grown because I never come in without a plan. So I really always have a lesson plan, a curriculum. I plan it out just like all my teachers would have. But at least they know before the, before the class ends or every time they go, it's become a nice little community inside the studio because everyone I see is the same every single time because they know what to expect. So there's a comfort in not being super magulo with your sequencing and your classes. You want them to be connected and systematic, which I think is also a benefit of you know practices like Rocket and Ashtanga. Say, they, they're going to go somewhere, and you know that. Um, when we talk about progressive, we, also, we, we don't always mean it's physically progressive in terms of you'll, you'll get from Pincha Mayurasana to uh, Scorpion in the next class. Because progress is not always visual. It can be the level of intuitiveness that people have in the process. You can have progress in, you know, Warrior 2, wherein you're a bit more connected to your feet, you're a bit more connected to your legs, you know, your hips. Um, there are different uh, layers of progress as well. So that's what we mean when we say progress or progressive. At the same time, sometimes it's hard to decide what to teach, but you always have to listen to yourself. So you have to listen to your body and you have to trust your body. You have to trust your intuition that maybe something that you feel or a practice that addresses what you feel is something that's worth sharing to others. So what I don't do is what I don't try to imagine what people want. I never try to second guess what people need or what people want from me. What I always do is to listen to my body, myself, and I'm going to tell people, this is what my body asks from me today. Maybe you'll take something from it that's of value to you. Maybe it's not the whole class. Maybe you're going to hate my Tikkunasana variation, but that's what my body wants. And I'm just sharing because maybe one or two people will, will, you know, will, will need it, you know, will appreciate it, you know. But again, it's, uh, I think sometimes because we get looped into this, um, into this uh, attachment to uh, um, affirmation or validation, we kind of become enslaved to the idea that we have to perform in class when we don't. You know, it's not a performance. It's a practice. So you have to share your practice by listening to yourself and you know, telling people, now, you know, this is where I'm going today. And... That's it. At least you know where you're coming from and you don't have to second guess that. So I think that will come hand in hand with the planning. If you're looking for inspiration, if you don't know where to start, start with your own body and then plan from there. And then tell people what you plan to do with them, not to them. You know, you're not doing things to people. You are sharing something with them that you do with your, yourself. So something authentic is marketable, you know. People will always see through any, you know, false advertising claims. I mean, we've seen a lot of those claims circling around and 
people can always pass out anything that is not authentic. Jelly, you raised yeah. your hand. Hey, um, just have a question because um, right now with my uh, with the situation yeah, that we can't all be together and see face to face, I do have students and trainees who do not have access to strong and consistent internet, and they are still looking for that sense of having someone hold space for them, whether it's um, on or off the mat, if uh, that makes sense. So, um, what in your do you have any experience, um, Ben, Rihanna, or the other teachers in this call, um, where you found alternative channels or ways to hold space for people that it's not a live Zoom call or a video call or a recorded class? Um, yeah, so that's it. Um, I do have something. I, I have an insight on this because I we've been doing the podcast for two seasons, so two years, and I always get comments from people that I should start a meditation podcast or an ASMR podcast for them to go to sleep. And I always found that amusing and entertaining, but at this time, I find it a very effective medium for to deliver a class with very you know low bandwidth you can you can record a podcast of you just you know teaching just saying the instructions and remember that part of our niyamas is space and having a bit of space that you know this medium will do its work will kind of go a long way um Sometimes when sometimes we really have to let go of a bit of control in order to deliver the mission that um, uh, I was in a in a wellness talk with Rachel Bonifacio, the owner of Three House Yoga, on mental wellness, and what she was saying that we're experiencing grief and uh, we're losing the sense of control over what's happening so that's uh, the a part a part of the stage of grief and being able to be okay with that is one step towards healing ourselves so you know maybe recording a podcast of you teaching is not just healing for the students but also for you um, we know how how healing a sound can be especially a familiar sound you know just listening to um the, the sound of someone, you know, chanting can, can bring enormous benefit to people. So how much more uh, the sound of a familiar teacher's voice could be healing and bring a sense of normalcy to someone. So I've, from my end, that's my suggestion. I've actually taken a couple of, uh, so uh, I th I'm currently in a training with Alex Pro and uh, she has a couple of podcast style classes and parang it sharpens your intuition also because you really have to pay attention and listen so i think that uh, as long as you keep whatever sequence it is you are headed towards nice and simple yeah that's true yeah uh and you can start a free podcast like what we did was just a free service and you know what I think everyone should do it. Um, we need a lot of Filipino yoga teachers' voices out there. And if you are not the vlogging type, because I'm not, I don't like you know, vlogging and putting my face out there um, so much. But 
if you want to put, I mean, I think Filipino yoga teachers should put their voices out there and balance the conversation about yoga because uh, I'm sure you've been in other places around the world and uh, yoga teachers from the Philippines are some of the best in the world, but we're so gripped by this colonial mentality that, you know, only, only white teachers are good or only Indian teachers are good. But, you know, yoga does not look at culture or does not look at tradition, uh, well, not the history or where you, geography or gender. Um, yoga, for yoga, all of these are illusions, you know? doesn't matter what your passport is, but every viewpoint is valid. So maybe a yoga podcast is something that, you know, that you can, it's, it's your gift to the world. <laughs> you know, it will be interesting to see that. Or you, you can also share your experiences. I'd love to hear, you know, other people's experiences as well. Okay. We have a question in the chat. Any tips on how to feel and be to an audience that cannot be in front of a camera. So. Uh, I think that what, what stresses people out is thinking that it is you're performing for people. I think the experience is also different because I enjoy not seeing people <laughs> in, when I teach because I don't see their facial reactions. I don't in- see their inner monologue playing out on their faces. And I can be a bit more true to what I want to say when there are no faces reacting, you know, in a you know resting bitch face. And um, of course, it's not their fault. It's their inner monologue. I don't blame people in the studio, but I really enjoy not seeing that. And I get to teach more authentically without seeing all of those other faces. Uh, but of course, that depends on your experience. Uh, our number one tip is to have fun. Don't take yourself too seriously. If you make a mistake, just acknowledge it, move on. And uh, uh, people don't, you, you don't, you don't, people don't think so much about your mistakes as you do. Like you will spend more time thinking about your personal mistake than anyone else in the video call. You know, they have already moved on. You're still apologizing, so move on along with that. So apologize, move on, get it done. Um, I think that is the main thing, and uh, yeah, that's. I think that's where. I think the the stress also comes from thinking that you're speaking to an audience. Um, uh, maybe you can change that perspective by think by saying that you're thinking out loud. Like I'm just thinking out loud, and um, if you've been to Rihanna's class, you hear her, you know, curse. You know, <laughs> curse many times, sometimes, but you know, but it's okay. It's uh, it's just the inner monologue coming out <laughs> um, in public. But it's okay. I mean, words are just words. If they don't have intention, they they don't have yeah. meaning. So you can say fuck many times in class without hurting anyone. It's just words. So uh, again, it all boils down to intention. You're there to teach. So the audience is. Uh, there, but they're not. They're not really judging you. They're just, you know, they're they're trying to be there for you, and you will be surprised at how much how how supportive your students are of you. Like, don't take yourself too seriously. And I think if you take That's away, <laughs> I think if you take away the stress of um, 
parang how well they think you're doing and then just whatever it is you're teaching simple and something that you truly know and your time being more comfortable so teach something that you you're choppy again <laughs> teach something that you planned for yeah um feeling feeling inspired and more excited to dive into uh yeah um that's exactly what you should do i think you should just dive into it um and you will really learn more in the process than in the planning of it you know um brian and, and liz were saying that they like doing it front uh, camera because they want to see themselves more than, more than other people. And I agree. I, I also have people who don't like joining in the, in the calls in video. So they just, you know, lurk around in the background, which I don't mind. Win-win scenario for both of us. I don't see a reaction. For those who want to join in video, I don't mind as well. I, uh, I can see how people are doing. So that's great. So... Give your students an option to do that as well. So sometimes they just need to be there, uh, audio with you, like virtually just hearing you, and that's enough for, for people. That's also okay. So people will, will take this differently. People will do it differently, and that's fine. Uh, we want you to try it out. Just do it, uh, whatever is most accessible to you. If you're doing a Facebook Live class with zero viewers just finish the class just do it just for the sake of experiencing the whole thing uh it's not about participants it's not about um you know it's about being able to practice it and being comfortable with it first anyway so if that's what it takes just do it and maybe people will check it out if you do it with some regularity people will say hey she's committed so i maybe i'm gonna commit next week so uh, just give it a try whatever you're comfortable with you know People are just shy because they're just thinking what do other people think. But you know, don't mind them. Just you're here to teach and you're here to share. And it could be, it could be one person. It can, it can be ten people. And that's it. Yeah. I froze. <laughs> but yeah, just make sure we teach what is authentic and what makes the most sense. That'll ease the comfort level for sure so teach something planned for and real to you and something that you enjoy something you truly enjoy teaching i think will calm the nerves a little bit because i understand it's stressful also to teach online yes go Liz. i froze again sorry sorry i couldn't find the mute <laughs> um i just wanted to offer um some advice that I've been doing and it's definitely more tiring um, but we are basically selling ourselves more than we ever have before because we are no longer relying on the studios um, to do that for us like when you teach through a studio you just show up and the students are there so you don't really have that much effort to put in but when you are doing your own zoom classes and everything it takes like 100% more of your time and effort to connect to those students to say, how was class? Are you okay? Was there something I could have fixed? And be open to the constructive criticism. Um, I think in my first week of teaching Zoom, I've had 
I got a lot of feedback, like no music, um, you know, can it be slower or we couldn't hear you clearly or the camera set up. So just being open to that and listening and taking their suggestions and adjusting to it um, as quickly as possible. But it's really way more tiring. And I think that's um, something that you guys touched upon is just being able to take care of yourself at the same time because you don't want to burn yourself out because we are giving a service to people. So um, to con continue the consistency of that service, you need to watch your own energy as well. Okay, that's it. Just my little two cents. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, I'd like to share something. Uh, I just got a taste of my first Zoom class uh, last Monday. It's my first time. Yeah. Um, for for uh, someone who was saying or asking about the nervousness or, you know, the feeling of being nervous in front of the camera. Um, I was teaching. My hair was, was all over the place. I was doing this every time. So it was kind of crazy. But at the end of the class, everyone was happy and it, it just reminded me that it's not really about you as the teacher. Yes, we do deliver the, the sequence. Yes, we do deliver the, the medium of what, of, of what our trade is or our skill is. But at the end of the practice, it's actually their own practice and they were satisfied with what happened with their bodies and, and, and whatever they went through. So that was what helped me eventually. Like, yeah, I'm going, I'm going to go through this. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm up for this new, new normal. So that helped a lot. I think if we take our focus from us, I think that helps also the performance aspect. Not about us ever. And as much as we have a lot of fears about it, which are totally valid and understandable, at the end of the day, people just want to practice. And if what you're offering is real and accessible and honest to what's, what makes sense to you, I think people will connect with that. Thank you so much. Does anyone have anything to share also? It's a little past time now. <laughs> I think we're we're good if we don't have any any other sharing or, or thoughts or uh, questions. We'll always be online though. So if you have any questions at all, uh, you can always contact us on our social media. Uh, we're Inner Power Vinyasa, and then you can reach out to me, Ben and Rihanna individually on IG or or FB individually. So. You can also add us on Facebook if you want to. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, we love discussing all of these things. Um, anything geeky about yoga, anything about classes, we're always happy to share our thoughts, uh, especially now that we're able to connect to this medium. And yeah, I think uh, that's it. I'm super so happy because parang it's made the world smaller. And a lot of us here today are in a space sharing. Our, ex our shared experiences and we may ne have never been able to speak with each other before this. I mean, especially apart from the people that I know already, but I like so much that um, the world has gotten smaller and I think that's one thing that we look to um, technology as being on our side. So, um, Yon, okay. before we wanted to say thank you so much for everyone 
uh, to everyone for taking their time and you know we understand na uh, it it can be really scary it can be really intimidating to shift into this new normal pero i think the faster we adapt and accept and just surrender to the process and move forward i think ultimately our responsibility as teachers is to share the practice and um that needs to be bigger than whatever it is that holds us back from doing so so yeah um i really wish you all good luck in your classes and like ben said we're always there for you guys just in case you have any questions or you want to chat again or whatever um we're always open to that thank you so much thanks everyone namaste namaste Oh.